Welcome to the 1000 Experiment Club, the only podcast focused on the culture of experimentation. In each episode, ABTC's VP Marketing, Marilyn Montoya, and the marketing team will sit down with some of the leading experts in the industry to bring you their insight on how to build and run successful experimentation programs. Take it away, Marilyn. Thank you, Johnny, for being here today. Um, could you please um, introduce yourself, your name, and and your company, and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm Johnny Longdon. I um, lead the conversion division of an agency called Journey Further. Journey Further is a wider business. is um, a performance marketing agency. So we also do PPC and SEO and PR and other things related to performance marketing. And I run the conversion division. I have a very long background in conversion optimization and experimentation going back about 13 years. uh, And I've run agency teams. I've been a management consultant and uh, and I've built big in-house functions, um, most notably at Sky. And so the way I describe what we do is, is a little bit different to other agencies because I and the team that work for me all have quite a lot of client-side background. And so we really understand how to embed and scale experimentation. And so the way we describe what we do is we're part agency, part consultancy, but ultimately we exist to help clients embed experimentation into the heart of what they do. Thank you. So you've written a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of content around experimentation. You, you've shared a lot of your thoughts on what makes uh, experimentation successful in, in a company. Could you uh, maybe give us a little bit of your, you know, maybe a concise version of, of that point of view? What do you need today, for example, to be successful at building uh, experimentation in a business? I think, first of all, um, belief. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is the belief in the fact that without experimentation, your ideas are probably not going to work. You know, when when you've run experiments for a long time, as I have, or anybody who's run a decent amount of experiments will know very quickly that the things you think are going to work and the things that seem obvious will very often not work. And conversely, things that seem like they're not going to work or they're a bit stupid will work. But at the end of the day, not very much of the stuff that you do has a positive impact. Um, and so number one, you know, there has to be that, that belief and that understanding that really the only way to understand what truly works is to run experimentation. And there's a lot going on there because, you know, a lot of people like to believe in their own opinion and like to believe in their own power of intuition and things like that. You know, there's a lot kind of that that's bubbling around underneath that belief. But at the end of the day, that's the spark that will light the fire. If that isn't there in both individuals and in the organization, then it's very hard to scale an experimentation team. Uh, although you, you know, you can eventually do it. You know, that that's the sort of thing that you're that you're really looking to try and instill in a business. Um, on top of that, there's then concrete things you know the the way I usually describe it is you know there are building blocks that will allow experimentation to flourish those being a a really cohesive strategy that is designed to express and articulate what is being improved what the business is trying to do and therefore what you're trying to optimize 
the right tools and technology to support that. So that's A-B testing tools and insight tools and stuff like that. Um, skills, very, very important. So the right people and skills, you know, that can be just things like, you know, do you understand statistics effectively? Do you understand, can you build tests? Have you got the right developer resource? That kind of stuff. Then also uh, what I would call an operating system. So um, a method, a process, a workflow, tools that support all of that, that will help you both run the program, but also scale it and get other people involved in it. So, you know, those are the kind of concrete things. And the two things kind of go hand in hand. And it's a bit of a chicken or an egg. Like you need the culture and you need the belief in order to be able to build the stuff that will do it. And but vice versa, you need a capability in order to generate the, the culture. And that's the challenge. But um, yeah, it's about, it's about sort of trying to evolve all of those things in tandem. Thank you, Johnny. That's a really complete answer there. Uh, I think that you've answered, you know, part of the, the the second part of the question that we we had here about what are the challenges to building experimentation in in companies, uh, and in company practices. And, and you basically you 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 summarize that into kind of two parts: the the kind of the cultural part and the belief and the and the tenacity and and building and and believing that investing in that uh, is what creates that. And then at the other end, everything that is the practical implementation, uh, like the roadmap, the team, the tooling. Um, In your experience, what is the the bigger hurdle? Yeah, I I mean, really at the core of it, in my opinion, is the nature of how business is run and and the hierarchical nature of how business is run because in 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 most organizations that are run on what is quite an old-fashioned hierarchical model you know you you've basically got people being hired and promoted based on their experience so you know you look for somebody to come and do a job in an organization you look from outside and you look for somebody with a cv with particular traits about their character and things that they've done and and they're hired and they're remunerated according to those traits so basically people come into an organization and already they feel that they need to prove what they've been hired for and what they're being paid for which is their opinion and their ability to come up with ideas and that's really how people are valued and how people are traded in businesses on in in terms of their their ability to have an opinion and their ability to trade ideas. And so even, even though um, ultimately people might sort of latently agree with the idea of experimentation, they still, on the other hand, are in a, in a position where they have to basically come up with an opinion and be, and be proven right. And that is just at odds with the, with the idea of experimentation. So that is the biggest challenge. And it's not an easy thing to change. Um, and in, you know, in many organizations, it's very, very ingrained. But as long as somebody realizes that that is the issue and that, and that they can sort of work to, um, to, to affect that cultural change, then you know, eventually it will work. That tends to be a really big problem in big organizations, but even in smaller businesses, you know, you'll find that you know, every, everybody working in experimentation has got one example of where they've proved some things won and then the business has decided not to do it because they didn't like it for some reason. And that is the, the biggest challenge, whether it's a small business or a bigger business, that you are constantly kind of up against people who effectively believe that their opinion is more powerful than the result of an experiment, which 
to to people like us is 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 outrageous but you know that is the reality that's how a lot of people think so that's really what you're trying to get around and you know a lot a lot of people will do that in in potentially the wrong way which is to try and sort of expose them and prove things wrong and do things like that you you really have to find a way of working with people and a way of 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 being harmonious with people and trying to find a way of incorporating their opinions and ideas and and that sort of stuff that's the only way that it'll ever really work very, very interesting, these insights. Um, would you say that, and I'm kind of uh, going, you know, steering off base of the, the original question, but do you see that specifically prevalent in, in product development where a lot of times, you know, product managers or, uh, you know, feature teams, they have a specific idea in mind of what they think. And a lot of it is instinct sometimes uh, based on, yes, some data analysis, but um, is this why you see more and more potentially product teams being interested in incorporating uh, experimentation to, to counteract these kind of tendencies of, of, of having, you know, all, my opinion is right and therefore this is what we build. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the interesting thing is that mo- you know, most modern product teams uh, are based on agile working methodologies. Really like if you go right back to the agile manifesto, a big, a fundamental pillar of the agile manifesto is what's called iterative customer collaboration, um, which means effectively that the point of Agile is that you should be iteratively developing a product in collaboration uh, with the customer and with their customer needs. Really, that describes experimentation. That describes, number one, you need research and data to understand what the requirement is. And you need experimentation to validate whether that works and to validate that iteration. And you constantly iterate like that. In its core, Agile is actually very, very similar to experimentation. I think they're kind of one in the same thing. However, that is not the way the vast majority of product teams work. The vast majority of product teams will work either by receiving ideas and opinions and things that need to be done from an external business unit or they come up with the ideas themselves. Um, And in either case, you tend to have a bit of a playoff between whoever it is that's coming up with the idea and whoever it is that's doing it. And there's a lot of politics involved there. So a good example would be, you know, you might have a product team who has a business owner in a separate unit who is saying, here's your roadmap, I want you to do these things. And they might not agree with that. So they might want to use experimentation in order to try and prove those things wrong. But that's the wrong use of experimentation. If they do have the ability, if they suddenly get the ability to come up with ideas themselves, then all of a sudden their own, their own opinion becomes the most important thing. And again, they don't really want to experiment because of that. So there's, there's tons of political little things going on there, which is really fascinating and interesting to dig into. But at the end of the day, it's always worth remembering that you know, ultimately what you're trying to do is... is um, de-risk development. So a product team is a cost, you know, so there's a cost to developing stuff. And the idea behind experimentation is that you should be testing things and proving the value of things before seriously investing in them. And so embedding experimentation into the front part of product process is, is really the most important thing, which is the, is the thing that most people don't do. Um, but yeah, the whole area of product and experimentation is a, is a fascinating area. Thank you so much. So interesting. In terms of getting back to experimentation and building teams, and um, you know, getting more into the into the implementation part, um, 
what is your general rule of thumb? Or do you have one in, when you look at a company and say, okay, this is how you should organize your, your experimentation, or this is how you should, you know, align this initiative internally. Is it just really variable? Does it really, de- does it depend on the organization or do you have a certain format or framework uh, on which you base your recommendation? I think it, it definitely does depend on the organization. Um, you know, different businesses are set up very differently in terms of how they're structured around who is responsible for development, who's responsible for the KPIs around the website and things like that. I mean, you know, you can have very different situations where, um, you know, you've got a product and IT and engineering team who actually look after the website, but then completely separate business units who are responsible for the commercial performance of the website Um, or the opposite of that, where you've got, a uh, you know a product and or engineering team that are also responsible the kind of an e-com team or whatever that are responsible for the site so there are very different situations i think the one thing that um that is probably or should be true uh, anywhere is that you want to try and avoid bottlenecks um by which i mean you know really the the holy grail is that you get to a point where a lot of different people can be involved in the process of experimentation and can run experiments or at least come up with ideas for experiments. Um, and you also want um, real sub- subject matter experts who understand how to do insight and how to design experiments and how to read the experiments statistically and things like that. But what you don't want is that the experimentation team becomes an enormous bottleneck for anybody wanting to run tests that everybody has to brief those things into a little experimentation team. And the way to get around that is to have really rigorous um, workflow process and systems that everybody can can align to. Um, it's what I would call an operating system. So, you know, which incorporates a project management tool of some description, but also really well um, defined ways of working and methods. And there you can have basically anybody that you want running experiments, but they're doing it in a particular way and they're funneling it through a particular process which has been defined and is continually evolved and defined by the experimentation team and the subject matter experts and similarly they get to kind of oversee and almost police what's happening without becoming a bottleneck so um, however it's structured I think that's really the thing that you have to aim for is is being able to scale and get lots of people involved without slowing everything down by suddenly having this really small, massively over-resourced team. Great. So basically what you're saying is we, we somehow have to empower people across the organization, of course, to, to abide to, to a kind of uh, process and workflow, but, but in getting people to be able to experiment is a good thing, no matter what, you know, whether they're on an experimentation team or not, and just getting them to kind of buy into, into this kind of maybe global initiative. Yeah, because ultimately, you know, the wrong way to do that would be to just suddenly give everybody access to an A-B testing tool and go, there you go, run some tests, because that would just be complete anarchy, right? You know, you'd Mm -hmm. have... um, You'd have all sorts of people, you know, running tests without really knowing what they were doing, clashing tests, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. So there has to be some cohesive control to that. And yet, absolutely, you want people to feel like they can come up with an idea and run an experiment and look at the results and see what happened. And, and you know, and ultimately, you're trying to get people used to the idea of, 
of testing and failing and learning from and learning from tests. So, yeah, but the balance is important. Okay. Experimentation is, you know, at least from 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 what I've seen, and and um, you know, at least coming from an ABTC point of view, you know, we're coming from a, a CRO, a CRO background. That's where kind of all where a lot of this started, and there's been an evolution, I think, in this space, uh, you know, from CRO to customer experiences in general, and, and improving the way that somebody experiences a website or an application. However, a lot of the KPIs are still, and it depends, I guess, on on the sector. Uh, but it, a lot of these KPIs. Uh, and, and, and results of experimentation are measured on very specific KPIs. So conversion rates, transactions, number of engagements, of you know. Um, are there other ways to measure the impact of experimentation that are not directly related to this? And, and are, you know, what are some of those, those ways to, to track um, um, the impact? Yeah, that's that is a great question, and I think it's very topical at the moment because you know you you do have a bit of a trend in the industry of of businesses sort of moving towards a more customer experience angle um, than a than a than a conversion angle, and it is it's really interesting because on the one hand um, conversion is really easy to measure and um you know there, there is always generally with transactional websites there's a there's a conversion point that you can measure and so from a data point of view um you know it's really tied up it's really neat um you know you've always got that data point um there are you know there are obviously some problems to do with cookies and things like that you've got to consider but you know generally it's quite easy to measure however um it is myopic because um, it doesn't take into account lifetime value. It doesn't take into account brand or anything like that. And, you know, there are, there are um, a lot of other objectives to websites than just that transaction in that one moment. Um, I think automotive is a great example. Like automotive manufacturers um, tend to try and push you down this kind of booking a test drive route or downloading a brochure or whatever because that's the only sort of direct response data thing that they've got to go on. Um, and yeah, if you think about it, you know, it takes people months, sometimes a year to decide what car to buy. And so a huge amount of traffic going to that site is really brand traffic. They're just looking at the car thinking, you know, do I like this car? And by pushing somebody down that conversion route, you're, it's the same as just kind of flashing a big sign in their face saying buy now it's really it's kind of obnoxious so um, and yet because that's the data point that's available it's what tends to get focused on and so if you think about that in the conversion world it's the same sort of thing like conversion is a little bit myopic in that sense that it's used because it's a neat piece of data and yet is that the right objective is that right thing to go for and and but then the problem is well, what else do you use in that case? Now, lifetime value um, is, an, is a notoriously difficult thing because the lifetime value can take a lifetime to, um, you know, to actually be recorded. Um, or you've got the data problem of, um, do you know, if you run a test on a website and then somebody kind of buys, can you actually tie that session into their account and the fact you know what they subsequently do and do they even do that online and all that sort of stuff and um and then you know if if you think of it just as pure experience like you're trying to drive experience which sometimes can just be experiencing a brand or a product then what do you base that optimization on so um i don't have um really 
a good answer to that. I, th I think it's just a fascinating thing that we'll see unfold. And um, I, I think really like um, there's no other way to look at it in a sense in the customer experience way is you have to kind of relax your view of experimentation and the and the hard notion of, of the data behind experimentation because it's just not going to be there in the same way, um, which is fine. Um, but as long as you can still validate ideas in the same way and that's what you want to be able to do you want to be able to validate ideas because as we all know from experimentation things that might seem really really obvious and rational and everybody thinks is a great idea can be the opposite and that's not going to be any different in that customer experience world um, in fact it could be even more so like that so there has to be some way to to properly validate ideas and I don't know what that is yet. And it's not going to be the same for every client, every situation. Um, but I think, you know, in summary, there's maybe a, there's maybe a, um, a, a thing happening where we move from the idea of experimentation to a more general idea of validation and think about what that means um, in different situations. Okay. You know, experimentation is something that we perceive that the more you do, the better you get at it. And the more you do it, more likely you are, you'll, you'll have some discovery or you'll discover something that you didn't know before, or you'll get some kind of unlock, some kind of hidden value that you didn't expect to have. Does it make sense to think about experimentation also being evaluated through the lens of, of volume and saying that um, your ability or your, your probability of discovery, your probability of success is, is in, direct, in direct correlation with your ability to launch experimentation at scale i'm not yeah. sure if that if that makes sense but it, it does yeah yeah uh, i mean a hundred percent it absolutely does um uh drive value the more the more you test the more value you get without a shadow of a doubt however only if it's done in the right way um because the most important thing is that you are learning from all of those tests and that you're building on that learning mm. um you know, the, the wrong way to do it is just to run a ton of tests and to be looking for winners. So, you know, you, you will have businesses that, you know, try and go down this velocity route where they're just doing a lot of testing. But if they approach it from the point of finding winners, then they throw away everything that doesn't work. And, you know, on average, you'll find that one in 10 tests work and yeah i mean even in that situation if you run 100 tests then you'll get 10 winners whereas if you ran 10 tests you'll only get one but um you know you've you've, you've probably wasted quite a lot of time running those tests and really where the value comes from is the learning um that you get from any test regardless of whether it wins or loses and um so you know, you, the, the post-test research and what you do after every single one of those tests is really vital because that's where you start to increase the probability that things will actually win and the, and also bigger, more innovative projects. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely the case, but you have to think of experimentation, of every experiment as the sort of start of a potential snowball of innovation where, you know, we, whether it wins or loses, we're going to learn something, then we're going to do something else. That wins, we're going to do something bigger. And so the right process that allows that stuff to flourish within all those tests is critical to that rather than simply just running a ton of tests. Um, uh, because obviously, you know, anybody can sit and just come up with hundreds of ideas um, on a website, you know, you, you could easily just sit in a room and come up with a hundred ideas for a page, but 
what are you going to do? Which ones are you going to do first? Which ones have the greatest potential for some sort of future innovation, regardless of the answer? What's the, what are the things that you know, are going to be most interesting to learn? All that sort of stuff. That's what's key. So it's kind of tied, I think, to what you just mentioned. Uh, so I'm not sure we have to go into it, but um, you know, would you agree that the idea that structured experimentation can lead to faster innovation? Why? And I think I think you kind of answered it. You said that you know, as long as you're um, learning from the experiments that you are conducting, then you can get to innovation faster because you're building on that learning and you're getting to big, better discovery or better creation of first versions because you're incorporating that. Yeah, so th this is actually something that I feel really passionately about because I think experimentation is innovation. Um, I think they're one and the same thing if you do it right. Um, because um, experimentation is really exploration as well. It's exploring different things and learning what works. And at the end of the day, it's very, very hard to rationally guess um, or rationally know what your customers want and what and the way you find out what they want and how they're going to respond to things is through experimentation. And when you run lots of different experiments, you'll find that some things work, that some things don't, that you learn this thing, that you learn that thing. And, and by then sort of focusing on the things that are interesting, the things that work, the things that seem to be delivering value and growing those ideas and developing those ideas into bigger experiments and even more bigger experiments and then projects, that is how you drive innovation that really works and that actually takes the company on the journey that it needs to go down. Um, a great example is a you know, client of mine that I'm working with at the moment. Um, uh, I proposed the idea of, of, of running a discount um, and uh, this company is, is not, has not been that comfortable with that kind of thing in the past. So, um, you know, want to approach it quite carefully. So I've designed like a very small experiment that just like, seems to prove what would happen if you offered this discount in this fairly limited scenario. Um, if that does work, then um, the implication is that they would need to change their pricing to accommodate the um, change in value of what they're getting. So we then would test a small test on pricing. Then there's how do you implement it? And basically this will eventually, you know, if this goes on and on, this will eventually add up to a very fundamental change in pricing strategy and possibly value proposition for this client. So, you know, that is an innovation. That's, that's, a, that's a big kind of change that has come from one small experiment. But what we've done there is to de-risk that whole thing um, by approaching it with a small thing and gradually getting bigger and, and proving the different aspects of it and building the business case out of it. And that approach can apply to anything. It could apply to a complete pivot of what the business fundamentally is and does, you know, particularly if you're a SaaS product or something like that, you know, you, you can, you can start off with like a little spark of an idea that, you know, customers seem to love and go, well, actually what happens if we just completely pivoted and did that instead of this, you know, that to me is how innovation happens. And uh, really, you know, like a lot of people will have read the lean startup, especially in that world that, you know, the lean startup talks about experimentation a lot. It doesn't really tell you how to do it but it is one and the same thing. Um, and that is innovation. So yeah, it, it really is a form of innovation. It's the, it's the fuel of innovation. To what extent do you believe experimentation is limited in an organization? I actually think that that really comes from a misunderstanding of what it is. Um, it has really sort of been perpetrated by the CRO industry itself. So 
Um, I think most people believe that that CRO is about tweaking small front-end elements of a website or hacking or things like that. Um, and so without really knowing a huge amount about it, in the back of somebody's head, so you take somebody uh, like an e-commerce director or marketing director of a, of a fairly large business, and they will probably latently think um, CRO is you know, let's get somebody who's going to sort of tweak a few button colors and, um, you know, change a few small things and just hack a bit of extra revenue out of the website. And somebody in the marketing team can do that. Uh, meanwhile, um, let's spend all this budget um, on um, this other stuff that we just know we need to do. We need a new checkout. I don't like the checkout. And, um, you know, we need to replatform. Um, because, you know, we need to redesign the site and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, they, they will think of it as, you know, here's some stuff that can be done um, with this, you know, experimentation thing. Um, but um, most of our budget is going to go on this stuff that we know we need to do. And what they're not seeing is um, that experimentation could drive everything that they do. And you know, if you take about, if you take the idea of like, let's redesign the checkout. Now, a lot of companies will do things like that because they'll sit there and go, I don't like this. I don't think it works very well. It's not as good as John Lewis or Amazon or whatever. Um, so we need to redesign the checkout. But do they? Um, is that the most important thing that they could work on? Is that the most important thing that they could invest their budget in? Um, and also, if it is, how do you do it? Um, you're going to do a massive redesign. You're going to change a ton of things. Like, how do you know what specifically isn't working? So um, experimentation actually should be what's driving everything that they do. And the problem is that they simply just don't see it like that because they don't understand it, mostly. Um, and that, I think, is because it has this sort of um, a stigma attached to it, which is about hacking and button colors and things like that, which has come from years of being really that's what CRO has been. That's how a lot of people have practiced it. So, you know, really the challenge to the whole industry is to try and is to try and change people's perceptions and trying to try and open people's eyes to the fact that it's not that. All it is at the end of the day is using research and data to understand what you should do and whether you should invest some money in it and experimentation to understand whether you really should invest money in it. And so you're just de-risking your investment in things like web development and, and marketing to an extent. And that's all it is. And, and then you, if you think of it like that, like why would anybody want to not do that? Why would you want to do anything other than that when you understand it like that? But that's it. They don't understand it like that. And that's the problem. I really like what you said. You said it's it's experimentation is a way to de-risk, you know, web build, product build. That is a big um, part of how people misunderstand it because most people look at it and think, you know, we're we're trying to find winning tests. We're trying to find things that win, little changes that can give make us money. And ostensibly that is what it is, but that's not really the economic benefit of it. The economic benefit of it is that you are going to make better decisions about how to invest in web development. So, you, you know, you have a, you have a, uh, an agency or internal dev team and they've got a queue of stuff that they're doing 
and that's going to cost money. That's what you're going to spend your retainer on, or you're going to you know spend the salaries of all these people on. That costs money. And if that list has ten things in it, and you haven't tested them, regardless of what they are, as we know, probably one of those things is worth doing. That's going to actually make you money. Some of them will will detrimentally impact your revenue, and you have no idea which is which. Um, and so you're wasting a ton of money, like you're wasting 90% of that web dev investment. And by experimenting, what happens is, A, you only do the things that work. So you've already proven that all of those 10 things will work and will deliver value. But B, experimentation is a much more efficient form of web development. So if you want, if you want to build something in production, um, you know, that might take four days. It could take hours in an experimentation tool. And that's not, you know, that's not a, an agency ripping you off or anything like that. It's basically there is a lot more process and um, security and, you know, all that sort of stuff that goes with production web development that you don't need to, to do when you build a test. Obviously, you still need to QA and things like that, but you don't go through the same process. And so it's much more efficient. So you're, you're wor working through those ideas far more efficiently and then not doing the things that don't work. So you're saving just a huge amount of money, resource and everything, plus only actually delivering to the website stuff that actually works. So the ROI potential of all that is is insane. And, and you know, it's it's that's it's just frustrating trying to get people to understand that and again they they just don't view it like that they view it as like you know can we get this button color change to make us some money um and and then you get the problem that if they're not finding winning tests if you know if you you go for a month without winning tests they think well this isn't working so let's not do it um which you know again based on what i was saying is just entirely the wrong way to look at it but I think this is so fascinating because, you know, we're talking about people are fixed, you know, companies today and, and teams are fixed on that the transaction or that ROI that is, you know, related to that button or that click or that, you know, CTR rate. Um, but here, what we're actually saying is that's part of it. That's part of the ROI. But the bulk of it is actually in, in everything that you're testing and everything you're not spending resources on creating uh, to 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 implement something that's not going to generate any impact, and so it's it's interesting. It's like the, it would you know to measure to find a way to to create reporting on experimentation in which you take into account the you know dev resources, time implementation, you know all that into calculating the the, the benefit of of running experiments that fail. Yeah, absolutely, because yeah, there's I mean. Um, you know, the way I always describe it to clients is if I ran if I ran tests on a website for a year and not one single one of those tests won, then that is still enormously beneficial because A, you haven't done anything to your website that would damage your revenue, which it would have done because you've just tested a load of things and realized that they didn't work. Um, but two, you haven't spent a penny on production web development, hypothetically. So you know, what you've done there and what you've also done is proven that none of your ideas work. Um, so, you know, you, the, there's no situation where you can really do it and then think this isn't working. Let's go back to what's happened before, because if you get to that situation and you you realize that you've had all these ideas and none of them have worked, stopping doing it isn't going to suddenly make your ideas work again. 
you know, what you're going to do is just stop knowing that your ideas don't work and go back to being blind about it. So there isn't really a sense that experimentation can work or not work. It's just, um, you know, it's just proving or disproving ideas. That's kind of what it is. So. So a question, just moving on a little bit onto um, uh, building experimentation roadmaps. Are there specific stakeholders? Um, you know, how does how do you go about doing that? So, so in terms of a roadmap for experimentation, i.e. the experiments themselves, um, I, I personally believe that the majority of that should come from rigorous research and analysis. Um, and, you know, particularly from pieces of research and analysis that get close to the customer. Um, I, I think there's a sweet spot where you have a combination of qualitative and quantitative data um, that gets you, you know, a decent amount of insight and a decent amount of volume at the same time. Things like customer uh, feedback surveys, um, information that you can get from call centers, that sort of stuff, because you're hearing verbatim stuff that people are complaining about, and there's a decent volume of it. Whereas uh, analytics data is incredibly voluminous, but um, you know is not particularly qualitative. And things like user research are the opposite. So there's a balance where you know you get um, a decent volume of stuff coming from customers, where you tend to get quite a lot of ideas that will work and they can be quite surprising things as well and um, that's not always the case you know we everybody knows that customers say things that um they do the opposite of but typically i think that that kind of research will increase your probability of value and success in the program so i think the majority of stuff should come from really rigorous um, skilled research however um you shouldn't exclusively do that because uh, number one, you know, uh, some of the most random and weird ideas can be the things that have the greatest benefit. So it's always worth having um, just fairly kind of left field ideas thrown in there as well. And for exactly the same reason, allowing ideas from anywhere in the organization without judgment and, and throwing those in there as well. Um, because, you know, again, as we were saying earlier on, some of the even if those things don't work you can learn very valuable stuff from them so you're trying to kind of create this initial input of ideas into the roadmap um, that is predominantly research-based but can come from everywhere and then you've got obviously the challenge of how do you prioritize that and you know i think um what I'll, the way a lot of people approach that is to is quite subjectively to go what do we think the impact of this is going to be um and you know that is that's just really taking the research out of it because you, you're putting your own subjective opinion back on it so you know you need to layer in things like where did this idea come from um you know how how good was this piece of research where on the site is this going to be delivered and what's the impact potential of that bit of the site what's the revenue potential of where this particular test is going to be delivered uh that sort of stuff and then also what's the balance that we want with that rational stuff and stuff that doesn't seem like a good idea so the, there's a you know there's, there's a method that should be able to build your roadmap on that basis um and but what you don't want to do is just have people sit around going that seems like the best thing to do um we should do that and and you know i don't like that that's not you know that's not a good idea because 
you've kind of negated the point of the research because you, you're just putting a load more subjective opinion back onto it. So that's that's how I think uh, a, an experiment roadmap can be built. Um, and um, in terms of in terms of building a roadmap for the experimentation program, the most important thing there is to try and at first understand the organizational structure of what it's going to look like and that can be very different for different organizations you know you in one business you might feel that it needs to be completely embedded into agile product teams in another organization it might be separate part of the marketing team but that's the first part and then from there um you know the there are building blocks which i mentioned earlier on which are um what's the strategy meaning what does performance mean for this particular organization? What, you know, if experimentation is improving performance, what is it, what is performance? How do you articulate that? How do you articulate it in things that can be concretely changed? What are the levers that you can pull? All that sort of stuff. That's what I would call a performance strategy. Two, um, have you got the right tools and technology? Firstly, in order to be able to understand that, that performance strategy. So if you've come up with the things that are important, the metrics that are important and the levers that you need to pull, have you got the right data and insight tools in order to understand them? Um, and then have you got the right technology in order to be able to test them and, and that sort of stuff? Once you've done a test, have you got the right processes and ways of working such that you can pass those things into production? Um, and then have you got the right sort of skills around how to use those insight tools and stuff like that? So these are the sort of building blocks that you build. And um, interestingly, a lot of people will talk about the culture of experimentation. And, you know, I myself said that before that, you know, you've got to kind of have the right mindset through the organization. But I find that unless you build these building blocks in parallel, you can never quite get there because you can only change culture if you've got the capability to support what you want that culture to be. Um, and you know you you uh, at the same time can't build the capability if you don't have the spark of culture. So the two things have to go hand in hand. Um, and actually, you know, the, I think the most helpful thing you can start to do is to find any way possible to run and share quite controversial tests um, through the business. And that's really what helps you sort of build those things. If you run tests and share them, and they're quite interesting things that people will sit up and look at then all of a sudden people start to get interested in it and start, start to say, well, you know, let's test this, let's test that as well. Um, and that's how you start to sort of develop those things in parallel. Great, thank you. Thank you for that, uh, that answer, it's really complete. Um, and then just um, maybe just a one, one, one and a half last questions, I guess, um, uh, you know, how do you, how do you keep, keep, keep that spark going? Like how, how, how can people on teams that you know stay creative in a way yeah. they keep their curiosity yeah i think it's uh, what i've what i've mentioned already in this conversation is um the the wrong way to look at it is about chasing winning tests like finding winning tests if if that's what is driving the program then it will lead to quite a lot of disappointment um, and, you know, people are going to get fired up about their tests and their ideas and is it going to win? And and then, you know, a lot of tests don't win. Um, and that's what kind of leads to demotivation and disheartens people about it, especially when, you know, they build a big test and really convinced it's going to win. And if you can shift the focus from the idea of winning tests to the learning um, aspect of it, then that's when really 
you know, you get this kind of constant motivation because if you can learn something really interesting from any test, regardless of when it, whether it wins or loses, and almost especially if it loses, and then figure out what you do next about that from every single test, then, you know, that is that can be what motivates people. And when that's what motivates people, then I think you get a lot more traction behind what you're doing. Um, and when that's the language that is shared with wider stakeholders and, uh, and with, you know, clients that you're working with or whoever, then that's infectious and that's what kind of breeds off in them. And that helps, that's, helps them to understand the real point of it, the learning, innovation, development part of it, rather than it being this kind of tactical thing. Uh, you know, or, or chased for winning tests to try and make money. Um, and it's complex because it is, a, you know, if we, it, it is about finding winning things. That is what it's about. You know, you can't say it's not about that. It is. But if that's the focus and that's what's driving people and it's kind of like a race and a competition and, you know, that's your view of performance, then that ultimately leads to disappointment. And really, like, you know, the alternative, which I mentioned, is, is what drives the innovation side of it. Clear. Thank you. And last, last, last question for real this time. Um, at what point do you recommend companies to start experimentation? Is there a critical size? Uh, what do you need? What are the bare bones minimum to, to really get into experimentation? Yeah, I think it's I think it's quite a dangerous myth that you have to be a big organization to do experimentation. Um, I think that in actual fact, smaller companies and particularly startups are in a way businesses that need experimentation the most um, because they're in very explorative, innovative phase of their development and they're, you know, trying to find which way to turn like a speedboat, you know. Um, and so I, those businesses almost need it more. Um, and so, you know, there is no real size. I mean, it's, it's just all about how you approach it. And the most important thing is to understand statistics at a level that allows you to test regardless of the volume of traffic that you've got, because there are lots of different techniques that you can use when you understand statistics in order to test on lower volumes and different things that you can do. And again, like I mentioned before, you can, it, absolute worst case scenario, if you've got really small volumes, you can really abandon the notion of proper experimentation and instead think about validation. You know, all you're trying to do is you're trying to use research and data to understand the things that you should do and some kind of validation to, to decide whether you really should do them. Because when you look at data, you're going to interpret it and that's your opinion. And you might be wrong, even if the data is really strong. So the validation helps you to say, is this actually what customers are going to respond to and is that going to do what we thought it was going to do and that can be an experiment but it can be all sorts of other things like prototype testing or user testing or whatever so you know the, the broad kind of approach to it which is ultimately putting a rational scientific approach behind how you make decisions and how you develop a business there's no reason anybody can't do that even if you've only just started up a business and there's just one of you um, anybody can do it like it makes complete sense um, ultimately like you know what I often say to people is the you know the most the most amazing things that have ever been done on this planet like space travel and medicine and all that kind of stuff have all come from the scientific method which is very simply observation hypothesis test refinement that sort of thing um and yet business 
doesn't work like that. Nobody kind of seems to seems to think that would be a good thing to try and migrate into business. But and yet, you know, everything brilliant that's ever happened has been done on that basis. So if you just look at it like that, like that kind of mentality and methodology, then anybody can do that. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or send us a comment. Until next time.